that episode. Do that episode. Do that, do that, do that, do that, do that episode. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. I'm Brittany. And we are your hosts for the evening. It is quite late today. I just had some stuff I had to do. <laughs> uh, I mean, such is life, you know? Well, I got off work late, too, so. Oh, that's never fun. Did you know that you were going to be off? But I got OT. Oh, okay. That's that's not really care. Yeah. (laughs) Because as long as you get OT, then overtime's not bad. But it's like sometimes, like at least when I worked in food, it's it was always like, oh, can you stay an extra like thirty minutes? We're in a rush, and it's like, are you going to pay me more? No. See, when we close, (laughs) I can just lock the door, and then I can Mm -hmm. just get what I need done. That's true. So it's not that bad. That that certainly helps. You do be helping. Cool. Well, I'm glad that you got overtime, and I'm glad that you're here. So you're, it's your episode today. It's I'm... my episode. Okay, so actually, I had this on my list, but my friend Darby wanted me to do this, so I just bumped it up. That works. Yeah, we have an ongoing list of cases that we want to cover at some point throughout the various seasons, because we're hoping to do this for a long time. So for any case suggestions, yes, forever. Like, you're you're stuck with us. Sorry, we don't make the rules. So (laughs) we have an ongoing list. So some of the cases that you guys suggest go onto this list. So just know that we are listening to you. We might not get to it right away, but we're going to get to it. So don't forget to send us those case suggestions. So what is what is our topic of discussion today? John List. Actually, there's a book and it's kind of cool. Well, it's not kind of cool. It's actually a very sad story. But the name of the book is called Religious Carnage. Oh, that's a fun that's, title. That is a fun title. I'll have to look into that after, isn't after it, you tell is, me all about this. Isn't it? It's Venom and Carnage, right? Yes. Okay. I actually just watched Venom 2 the other day, so... Dude, that's a funny movie. Not, I don't. I haven't seen the second one, but the first one's funny. The first one's funny. The second one's pretty funny, too, because, like, Eddie and Venom have this, like, almost like a relationship where they're, like, petty squabbling all the time <laughs> about, like, their living conditions and things like that. It was, it was funny. I like Well, it. just because... Okay, so Venom's the, like, like the alter ego of Spider-Man, so Carnage is the alter ego of Venom. Mm-hmm. What's the alter ego of Carnage? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure that there is another one because they kind of hinted at it at the end of the movie, but I don't. I, I don't know the lore. I'm. What color is Carnage? Carnage was red-ish, like uh. yeah, kind of like blood color, I guess. They so. can't have Carnage be red if Spider-Man's red. I wonder if the fourth one's gonna be blue. I think, if I remember right, there was somebody like I think that's. I don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure that's probably what. Actually, it is. that makes sense because Spider-Man's suit is black, blue, and red. So black, red, blue. You're right. Big brain. <laughs> Guys, we only have a couple more episodes. We decided we're going to do a shorter season this year. Well, this season. <laughs> so Sweet. we will. It's only because Bree's going on a trip. I'm going on a trip for about two and a half weeks. And her favorite rocket ship. Yes. So I'm <laughs> blasting off. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm going on a trip for two and a half weeks and so we just decided to do a shorter season uh, we do have a couple special episodes our last two episodes are going to have interviews in them so you don't want to miss out on those they're going to be really really interesting topics alright well I guess we're going to go ahead and roll right into this so Brittany take it away okay so 
John List was born on September 17th, 1925 to John F. List and Alma M. List. I actually like the name Alma. It's very comforting. That's an interesting name. At the time of his birth, John Sr. was 66 and his mother was 38. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, so it's not like a, that's a like 34 year different. Miss girl. <laughs> uh, no, it'd be 24, I think. No, 30, right? No, because 40, you, 50, 60. You add two, that oh, brings it up to 40. Yeah. So. <laughs> So it'd be 26, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, John List was described as aloof with strict German parents. His mother was very domineering and overprotective. Yeah. It's also in the 20s, which I think is like right around, or, or not around, but at least I think World War II is about to start. Uh, the 20s, that was right around the Great Depression because that happened first at the end of the 20s and then yeah world war ii was gearing up in like the yeah 30s. but world war one's already yeah world, world war, war one, one already passed mm-hmm. so it's like that in between period that's what i thought okay so he had no full-blooded siblings but he did share a half brother and sister on his father's side so his family home was located at 1808 s winona street on the west side of the city And his father owned a grocery store that was located at 216 Salzburg Ave. So, in 1943, John graduated from Bay City Central High School. And he was allegedly not popular, but he did have a handful of friends, which I think that's how we can describe most people. Yeah. I mean, you don't... I don't think anybody has, like, more than a handful of friends really it's like you might like a true friend yeah yeah. because it's like you might have acquaintances or people that you like hanging out with but you're friendly with yeah in like certain situations it's not somebody that i would like confess my deepest darkest secrets to in at a sleepover you know that it's not that kind of level true so true so quote he was just there He never projected himself. He was always in the background, end quote. A former classmate told Bay City Times article in 1971. That was me in school. I never projected myself in school either. Not a class anyways. Yeah. Like, I was there. I... I was, oh, I'm glad you were with the school. <laughs> I was I was a little <laughs> bit more outgoing, I think, in high school than I was otherwise, like, than I am now, but... Mm-hmm. I wasn't a part of like any particular group. We were kind of like I was just friends with everybody. Yeah, it was kind of like the misfits all kind of like came together. The people who didn't fit into any other group. So that that's kind of what my group was. So I was just friends with everybody. That, I had friends from all groups. That mm-hmm. tracks. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so John List was said to be studious and a perfect gentleman. With academic qualities, he wasn't really known to participate in clubs or sports or extracurricular activities, but I didn't either because I worked. So Yeah, and I imagine, at especially at this point in history... Yeah, this is the 40s. Yeah, so. this is like before... Early 40s. <laughs> yeah, so like... This pe- is like right when World War II started. Yeah, it's like when... People are starting to go off to war. Then obviously, like, the kids had to step up. The women had to step up (laughs) and start working more to provide for the families. So that makes sense. So, quote, he had about four or five close friends. 
wasn't a joiner, unquote, said Robert Folly, a former classmate of Liszt, which again, that's, we just talked about that. Yeah, so. mood. But in 1944, his father died at the age of 85, which I will say is very old for that time. Yeah. Like, because generally people did not live past like 60. Yeah, the age expectancy has definitely gone significantly up since back then. And then also, mm-hmm. I'm sure that went down significantly when millions of people died in World War II, but it is what it is. <laughs> so after graduating from high school, uh, John enlisted in the U.S. Army and then earned a bachelor's degree in business administration, which is what I have my bachelor's degree in, <sighs> as well as a master's degree in accounting from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. He would go on to serve two tours in World War II and later was given a ROTC commission as an ar- army lieutenant. And then I know at some point he served in the Korean War. Mm-hmm. So just, I mean, I didn't really find that much information. I just know that he did. Okay. Which I don't think the Korean War was actually a war because my grandfather was in that. My grandfather was in the Korean War. I, I don't know a whole lot about my the Korean War, honestly. I, it was the Cold War, right? No, Cold War was, was different. No. Korean, well, Korean War was kind of like the, you know, how there's North and South Korea. It's just kind of like verbally fought. Kind of. It it only lasted about like three years, but. Yeah, it was like a short war compared to like everything else. Yeah. Yeah, it says from 1950 to 1953. So. Yeah, I know my great grandfather was in it, but fuck if I knew what he did. I, I, I mean, he, I knew he was in. The, I knew he was in the Air Force for like twenty-seven years. I just, and he was in Vietnam, which he got um, drafted into Vietnam, mm-hmm. and then he went into the Korean War, or probably yeah, vice versa. Vice versa. But I don't know what he did. <laughs> yeah, my I knew my dad was in the Air Force, and he was an intelligence officer. But I don't know necessarily what he actually did. But I know that a lot of it is classified, so he can't tell me. <laughs> so I'm just like. In he my mind, what? He could tell you. He could tell me if he wanted to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just a lot of it's classified. So in my head, he, he was a spy. And I know that's not actually oh what it God. is, but that's that's in my I'm head. I'm be like, listen, <laughs> Mr. Miller, listen. You can't tell me it's classified. You're just going to have to give me some little tea. Just a little bit. <laughs> Send me on my way. <laughs> Your curiosity would be too peaked to let it go. Yeah, no, literally. So at an army fort in Virginia, John met his future wife, Helen, who was a widow of a soldier who was actually killed during the Korean War. So I guess they did fight. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote this. <laughs> There's like nine pages of notes, okay? Okay. You're forgiven. The couple would eventually go on to wed in Baltimore in December of 1951. Baltimore. Um, and then when he returned home, John went to work for an accounting firm and later became a supervisor at a paper company known as Dunder Midland. I was about to ask. Is it? it <laughs> <laughs> she's obsessed with The Office, in case that wasn't obvious. Love The Office. Like, every time, I've, the only- every time I've come to your house, The Office has been playing. <laughs> every single time. <laughs> well, we, we just got Peacock, so I've been rewatching it. <laughs> I watched it like four times since we got Peacock. God, I wish I could go back and like just rewatch it for the first time because that was gen- like genuinely the funniest show I've ever watched. Yeah, there there are a couple shows I wish I could experience for the first time or books. It's, it's like Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yes, mm-hmm. it's like you never really capture that magic 
when you go back and rewatch, but you do catch things that you didn't catch before. So it's like, in a way, you're kind of seeing it in a different in a different way, but it's never the well, same. Well, I know if you take me to a office bar crawl, I'd win. So. <laughs> it's good to know. If we ever encounter that, you will be my my phone a friend. Thanks. Thanks. So the List House, um, or better known as Bree Knoll, was, or Bree's Knoll, I'm sorry, was a 19-room <laughs> mansion that was built in the post-Victorian era. It's a big-ass house. It was on the Hillside Avenue, which is one of the most exclusive areas in Westfield, New Jersey. So inside the house was a literal ballroom with a Tiffany skylight and right. marble fireplaces. All right. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm very, into it. Very fancy. I'm into it. Um, that I know. Um, so I forgot to write it down in my notes, but I know it because I've read it like mm-hmm. eight times. But like a few years after, spoiler alert, murders, the house is suspected of arson and it burned down and they built something like completely new in its place. I mean, I I probably would too. But from the outside, the List family was the ideal American family. John taught. Aren't they always? Yeah, John taught Sunday school at the Redeemer Lutheran Church, and the family never missed a Sunday service. Hey, what is the difference between uh, like what's classified as a Lutheran? Um, well, I know it's part of the Protestant umbrella. Um, I think Lutheran. Yeah. Because there was Martin Luther with his 95 theses or whatever. Not, Yeah, not Martin Luther King. Don't get confused. Yes, so I think it's they kind of... That was the initial Protestant church, if I remember right. Don't quote me on that because my history is a little bit fuzzy when it comes to that. Well, I know the, but, I know the Lutherans, I think, fought the Catholics. I could be wrong. I know the Protestant, Protestants fought the Catholics, but I think Lutherans. I think- I think everybody fought the Catholics. The Catholics are just, they're just out there throwing punches, you know? They're like, you're going to catch... Throughout history. You're going to catch these hands? <laughs> you are going to catch those hands. So, eventually, John's mother, Alma, would move into the mansion with the family. But, apparently, Helen suffered from tertiary syphilis that she had contracted from her previous husband. So she wasn't being... um, Yeah, but she wasn't being like... Unfaithful. She wasn't having an affair. But, in case you don't know what syphilis is, my guys... Sex ed. It's a bacterial... Yeah. So it's a bacterial infection usually spread by sexual contact, and it develops in stages and symptoms that vary with each stage. So the first stage involves a painless sore on the genitals, rectums, or mouth. After the initial sore heals, the second stage is like a rash, and then there are no symptoms until the final stage, which may occur like years and years later. And the final stage can actually result in damage to the brain, nerves, eyes, or heart. It's treatable with penicillin in the early stages and thank you so much mayo clinic <laughs> that's intense especially if it's you like if you don't notice the initial symptoms too and then it's just like years yeah. and years later it's just like <laughs> by brain yeah that's correct so um helen began to experience like blackout vision issues and instability and she began to actually like self-medicate with liquor and prescription tranquilizers and then she eventually stopped attending church but i can imagine vision issues and instability i wouldn't want to go to church either yeah like she, she's probably bedridden at that point uh, or- but i it hit him because he didn't know and she like eventually like she kept it from him mm-hmm. she kept it from her doctors too which i mean in the 60s or in the yeah, in the 60s, beginning of 70s, mm. it's not a good time. Yeah. That really sucks, though. 
like having to yeah. experience that and then not getting treatment for it. Ugh. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they didn't know about the treatment either. So they probably thought it was just like, I, you have to live with it. I would Google it, but I don't want to accidentally see images because anytime you Google some sort of medical diagnosis, Google images is like, hey, I'm sure you wanted to burn this image into your brain. <laughs> so John then began to hear rumors of Patricia, his oldest child uh, and only daughter of smoking marijuana. But oh, you no. have to to think that this is like the end of the 60s we get in the 70s the so. devil's lettuce i mean they better be glad she's not doing coke yeah it, honestly could be well worse. i think coke was more the 80s so acid is probably around this time ecstasy yeah yeah ecstasy because acid was 60s yeah the hallucinogens like mushrooms and, yeah well i guess it's just shrooms whatever so the moral decline of his family caused his stress to become at an all-time high. And then he lost his high-paying job at the bank in less than a year after obtaining it. And then he eventually got a new job that paid less, but lost that one shortly after. And then the cycle continued until he eventually just couldn't get a new job. And at that point, uh, he had taken two, two second mortgages out on the mansion and even sold the second family car to, to try and afford, like, the family lifestyle. But he was still unable to, like forestall bankruptcy and was preparing to and the bank was actually preparing to repossess the home just before the murders took place but i do want to mention um when he lost his job at the bank john continued to go to like get up every morning and go to work like he did have his job but he would really just go to the train station and read the newspaper <laughs> so he was like keeping that from his family that he had yeah so his, his family did not know wow. so his family did not know at all and he was actually like started skimming like money from his mother's bank account to like afford the bills because he was like he just couldn't keep a job yeah not that this is okay but like he would get a job and then quit and then it like it wouldn't be as high paying as the bank job and so he would just get up every morning like he was going to work and then then he would just sit at the train station and read a newspaper because he didn't want to go on welfare like that was his number one he was like i refuse to go on welfare i'm not going on welfare but but my to guy, be fair, you have father, a family to take care of. Well, you have to think. So he was raised in like the 30s, which was the Great Depression era, and then yeah. the 40s. And his parents were super strict. And his father taught him like, not that this any of this is okay, but his father taught him like, your only job in life is to provide for your family. If you can't provide for your family, you're not like shit. But he's not providing for them. He's sitting at a train station reading the newspaper. Yeah, <laughs> and stealing yeah, from know. his mother. <laughs> like... So, okay. So, in 1971, he lost the job at the bank when he was at age 46. And then the other jobs just hadn't panned out, like I said. But he was too ashamed to tell his family. So, like I said, he would spend days at the train station reading the newspaper and secretly skimming money from his mother's bank account to pay the 5,000 mortgages he has. But he refused to just go on welfare as it would tell excruciating embarrassment in the community and violating all principles of self-sufficiency that he learned from his father. So his only logical option at that point was to murder his entire family. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> or you can just be like, hey, we're broke. Stop spending so much goddamn money. <sighs> well, yeah. So the morning of November 9th, uh, 1971, John saw all three of his children off to school. And he walked into the kitchen where Helen, who's 46 at the time, sipped her first cup of coffee that morning. John came up behind her with his 9mm pistol and on the side, I, like put it on the side of her head and fired once and she died instantly. 
So she fell onto like the table, but the bullet hit the opposite wall and blood like immediately pulled down like on the tabletop and like dripped down on her bedroom slippers. I mean, I I guess at least it was instantly, but God, like I couldn't even imagine. So, okay. So John then headed upstairs where he found Alma, who was 84, still in her nightgown. Um, she had like an efficiency kitchen because she had like a whole apartment upstairs. Like so, it was like so a like whole in law suite type of situation. Mm-hmm. So she was cooking breakfast. And then when she saw John, she was like, quote, what was that noise? End quote. And then instead of answering, he held up his gun and shot her. The bullet, the bullet hit and it went through her skull and she died. I mean, like before she even hit the ground. So he must have um, had a really good aim. Fucking I know, dude. So he then closed the storage pantry room, like that she was like in. He closed that door and he just left her there. This is all before ten o'clock that morning. So I'm not even awake at ten o'clock. I can't imagine just getting ready to murder somebody that early. So while waiting on the children to come home from school, he attempted to clean up the blood in the kitchen in the apartment, but obviously he wasn't able to clean up all traces of it. So then he went downstairs to the basement and grabbed a sled and a sleeping bag. And then when he got back upstairs, he then proceeded to put Helen's body on top of the sled and drag her to the ballroom where he put her body into a sleeping bag and then left her in the ballroom. He then decided, I'm going to go up to my study. And then he found some old photos and documents that related to back to the mansion's history. So he decided to write John Wick, the son of the original owner, a thank you card. What? What? This whole fucking story is so fucking wild, dog. What? <laughs> you just stop in the middle of murdering to be like, oh, let me send this thank you card. Well, he murdered both people, so I... there's nobody else to murder. He's right, waiting for his children to come home so he can murder them. He's still in murder mode. He's just, I guess, decided to put a pause on it. So he then decided to call Barbara Bader. The woman who carpools John Jr., his uh, second child, and her son to the junior high school, he explained to her that the entire family would be leaving for North Carolina when the kids got out of school, where Helen's mother was extremely sick, and they wouldn't be back for an extended period of time, which apparently that was so just normal to do in the 70s. You could just take your kids out of school. That must be fucking nice. (laughs) Parents never took me out of school. Well, because the schools make them jump through hoops with like yeah with signing kids out for anything really other than like a doctor's appointment yeah but at the same time sometimes you just don't want to be at school a mental health day um john decided to then call the post office and hold all mail until further notice and then he even called the milkman to cancel his milk delivery (laughs) he was like all right let me cancel all these subscriptions so at this point he was starving and he was like i want lunch so he goes down to the kitchen and made himself a sandwich where the blood of his wife he just murdered was there my guy he didn't clean it all my guy he's eating a sandwich enjoying the ham that was probably on the sandwich and then patricia called uh around lunchtime and was like hey dad i feel sick can you come get me and john was like yeah dude <laughs> so he hung the phone finished the sandwich and then he went and got his daughter so, once the two of them were in the house, he shot Patricia, who was 16, in the jaw with a 22 caliber pistol, like, immediately. And then, you know, so that was, like, a lunchtime, so he waited a couple more hours. And then Frederick, his youngest son, 13, had an after-school job that he had to go pick pick him up at. So, as soon, like, he went, got Frederick, and as soon as they got home, just like Patricia, he shot Frederick as soon as he entered the house. So, that night... 
John Jr. had a soccer game at the high school. So, like, the supporting father John List was, he attended the game and cheered loudly for his son. And then he drove him home after it was finished. So they got back to Breeze Knoll. And then he would shoot and kill his last victim. And John Jr. was 15. So John Jr. was the only one to actually fight back. Because I think he was the only one that actually saw it coming. But it resulted in him having 10 gunshot wounds to his face and chest. (laughs) So. This man. Like, how are you going to go to the soccer game, cheer him on, and then immediately murder him after the fact? Dog, I don't fucking know. So, it just gets, it gets weirder. So, John was like, I'm gonna leave my mom upstairs in the attic. So then he laid his wife and children's body in sleeping bags that they used to camp in, in the ballroom. So, he then tried to clean up any blood that was shed, uh, but he didn't get it all. And then he went back to his study and wrote a five-page letter. Um, And at 6 p.m. that day, he sat down for dinner, and then he finished it, and then washed the dish, and then put it in the drainer to dry. But just before going to bed, he remembered to feed the family fish in the kitchen. So he stopped there, fed the fish, and then he was like, I'm going to bed now. So he goes upstairs and goes to sleep. Why the fuck are you feeding the fish? You just murdered your entire family. Just let the fish die. The fish need to eat. No. no, they need to eat. The fish, the, why does the fish have more, like, why does the fish's life have more value than his family? <laughs> That's what I want to know. God, fuck a fino, dude. Okay, so the next morning before he left uh, the mansion for, like, the last time, he turned the air as low as it could possibly go, and then he turned it on, he turned on a recorder that was, like, hooked up to the intercom system of the house, um, and it played the same classical music on a loop repeatedly, and the only way to, like, get it to stop was to, like, actually turn it off. Sounds like a horror movie. And then he turned on every single freaking light in the house. He just turned it all on. So the house was lit like a Christmas tree for the next 29 days because nobody found the bodies until December 7th in 1971. And we'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors. Our next partner has a product I use pretty much every day. I started taking AG1 because I hated taking a bunch of pills in the mornings and wanted more energy throughout my day. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It's got kind of a mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to each morning. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. Pretty much all the things. Your subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is so important to add in when you work from home like me and don't get out too much. It can also help support mental clarity and alertness, and it costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day, and that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. 
Nobody thought to check when the kids just well, didn't. He... Oh, well, that's true. He did say he was going to North Carolina. He for covered up period. pretty much everything pretty like pretty well. So the bodies were finally discovered on December 7th in 1971, which was 29 days after the murders initially occurred. And then his car was also found abandoned at the JFK airport. So this is how they were found. So Patricia's drama teacher, who like she was really close with and like actually told um, the teacher that she was scared that her dad was going to kill them. So, I mean, that would have been a sign for me personally. Well, how did... So... Do you know what the catalyst for that was? Like, why she said that she thought her dad was going to Because Because I think he, it started when he lost his job at the bank. But when, like, finding out that his wife had syphilis and then he just felt like his family was, like, on a moral decline and then his stress was at an all-time high. So he was getting angrier and then he was, like, snapping at his kids more and him mm-hmm. and the mom was arguing. And he was like, I think my dad's just going to kill us. Okay. Well, tracks. So... Patricia's drama teacher grabbed another teacher and they decided to go check on the family and went to the list house. And as the teachers were looking into the window of the home, the neighbors actually called the police to report suspicious activity, but not the fact that the house was lit like a Christmas tree for the next 29 days. It was more so just because they saw people looking into the house. Yeah. So when the police arrived, so they kind of fucked up the crime scene, but I guess it doesn't really matter since it was in the 70s. Yeah. Um, But the police arrived. Investigators, neighbors, and the teachers decided to enter the home all at one time. Um, Mm. And then they all found the decaying List family. And then John List would remain missing for the next 18 years without any trace. What? (laughs) Yeah. So he left a five-page note. And I actually... So there's actually a website. It's called Criminal Code. And I linked it in the show notes. Um, But she... Or whoever runs it. I don't know if it's a she. They actually um, list the entire note. So I'm going to read it to you guys. Because it's fucking wild. I am intrigued. Actually, and then in criminal... A lot of criminal justice and law classes, they reference this note a lot. Because they say this is truly the most well-written, like, confession. Mm -hmm. That somebody... Like, it goes into... Like, I will read it. But it goes into detail, like, of his thought process. And people actually, like, reference that in classes all the time. I'm intrigued. But he wrote it to his pastor. So, dear Pastor Ray Winkle, I'm sorry to add this additional burden to your work. I know that what has been done is wrong from all that I've been taught and then the reasons that I might give will probably not make it right. But you are the one person I know that while not condoning this will at least possibly understand why I felt like I had to do this. One, I wasn't earning anywhere near enough to support us. Everything I tried seemed to fall to pieces. True, we would have gone bankrupt and maybe gone on to welfare. But number two, that brings me to my next point. Knowing the type of location that one would live in, plus the environment for my children, plus the effect on them knowing that we're on welfare was just more than I thought I could and should endure. I know that we're willing to cut back, but that involves a lot more than that. Three, with Pat being so determined to get into acting, I was also fearful as what it might do to her continuing to be a Christian, and I'm sure it wouldn't have helped. Four, also, while Helen was not going to church, I know this would harm the children eventually and their attendance. I had continued to hope that she would begin to come to church soon, but when I mentioned to her that Mr. Jutes wanted to pay her an elder's call, she just blew up and said that she wanted her name taken off the church rolls. Again, this could have only adverse results for children's continued attendance. Imagine being so concerned that your entire family is indoctrinated in your religious beliefs that you turn to murder. Yeah, because that that makes sense. Yeah, but I mean... None of this is okay, but he was, like, 
raised in like a super domineering religious household so it's just like well, come on I, no, it's not making sense but i'm just saying no like i i get why he he was thinking that way because there are a lot of families who think that way even now where they're like oh if you're not a christian and you don't hold christian beliefs then i'm gonna disown you like when uh somebody comes out to their family and they disown them because they're like I don't agree with your lifestyle. It's it goes against the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, that's true. It's just like what made him think that murder was the Christian thing to do? <laughs> well, it does say thou shalt not murder in the Ten Commandments. Yeah, so <laughs> where did that come from, my guy? Anyway, continue. Okay, so that is the sum of it. If any one of these had been the condition, we might have pulled through, but this was just too much. At least I'm certain that they will all have gone to heaven. Now, if things had gone on, who knows if that would be the case. So he's essentially saying, like, all of this is what led him to murdering them, but he did it because he knew that he had to kill them now so they would still get into heaven. Because if he let them continue, then he would damn them forever. I told you, I have really mixed feelings about this case, but we'll, we'll continue. I also have mixed feelings. Continue. So, of course, Mother got involved because doing what I did to my family would have been a tremendous shock to her at this age. Therefore, knowing that she's also a Christian, I felt it best that she'd just be relieved of the troubles of this world. That would have hit her. <laughs> that would have, it's not funny. After it was all over, I said some prayers for them all. From the hymn book, that was the least that I could do. Now for the final arrangements. Helen and the children have all agreed that they would prefer to be cremated. Please see to it that the costs are kept low. For mother, she has a plot at Frankmonth Church Cemetery. Please contact Mr. Herman's, I can't pronounce his last name, Route 4, Vassar, Michigan, 41768. He's married to a niece of mother's and knows what arrangements are to be made. She's always wanted... Rev. Herman Zehinder of Bay City to preach the sermon, but he's not well. Also, I'm leaving some letters in your care. Please send them on and whatever comments you think appropriate. The relationships are as follow. Miss Lydia Meyer, mother's sister. Miss Eva Meyer, Helen's mother. Jean Seifert, Helen's sister. Also, I don't know what will happen to the books and personal things, but to the extent possible, I'd like for them to be distributed as you see fit. Some books might go to the school or church library. Originally, I had planned this for November 1st, All Saints Day, but travel arrangements were delayed. I thought it would be an appropriate day for them to go to heaven. As for me, please let me be dropped from the con congregation roles. I leave myself in the hands of God's justice and mercy. I don't doubt that he's able to help us, but apparently he saw fit not to answer my prayers the way I hoped that he would answer them. This makes me think that perhaps it was for the best as far as the children's souls are concerned. I know that many will look at the additional years that they could have lived, but if finally they were no longer Christians, what would they have gained? Also... I'm sure many will say, how could anyone do such a horrible thing? My only answer is it isn't easy and it was only done after much thought. Sure. Pastor, Miss Morris may possibly be reached at 802 Pleasant Hill Drive, Elkin, home of her sister. One other thing, it may seem cowardly to have shot from behind, but I didn't want any of them to even know at the last second that I had to do this to them. John got hurt because he seemed to struggle longer. The rest were immediately out of pain. John didn't consciously feel anything either. Please remember me in your prayers. I will need them whether government does its duty as it sees it. I'm only concerned with making my peace with God. And of this, I'm assured because of Christ dying even for me. P.S. Mother's in the hallway in the attic. Third floor. She was too heavy to move. <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny. I mean, it's not funny. <laughs> leaving it as a P.S. is a little bit funny. <laughs> but 
God damn. She was too heavy to move. I appreciate that he laid all of this out, but I'm just... What mental gymnastics... What mental gymnastics to get to this point where you're like, I think it's the right thing to do that God would have wanted me to do this and murder my entire family. Do you know? Okay, but like... There's a lot of, like, people who kill who, like, have religious, like, breakdowns, like, psychotic breaks. So, I I don't know if that's what he's having. Or a midlife crisis. Uh, I think it's probably a mix of things, but also just the fact that he did it so, so like, systematically, one by one, just, you know, very... Well, okay, doing it so now. here's my thing. In this letter... And then we can talk about it at the end because we'll go into more. But, like, okay, so in this letter, he talks about how, like, he didn't want them to know. And clearly, like, he did, except for John, who struggled. But I think he's the only he's the only one that saw it coming. So that's why he struggled. But I think, and I can't tell if it's cowardly to shoot them from behind or if it's because he really just didn't want them to suffer. Because they all, like, the way he shot them, they all died very fast. I think like almost immediately. I think the reason why he mentioned cowardly is because at least in battle, when you shoot somebody from behind, it's considered cowardly because usually that means they're running away or they don't know that you're there. So that might be why. And we can talk about it more at the end because we'll go into more detail. But like, just I have mixed emotions. I have a lot of thoughts, but like feelings. This case quickly became the most second most infamous crime in New Jersey history, surpassed only by the kidnapping and murder of the Lindbergh baby, which actually is on my list. I don't know anything about it, but it's on my list. Um, The Times on December 10th, so the day after, or I'm sorry, three days after they found all the bodies, ran an article after a list car had been found parked at New New York's John F. Kennedy Airport, and the trail went cold for the next 18 years. Like, homeboy just... It's wild to me. Actually, what happened was John List lived an undetected life under an alias, uh, Robert P. Clark, for the next 18 years. He relocated to Colorado and then relocated to Virginia. He remarried and even found himself a new job as an accountant. My guy. (laughs) The police would follow leads in the 70s and 80s, but they all hit dead ends. And a dozen of FBI agents and investigators found no trace of John List overseas or in the U.S. But in 1989, Union County prosecutors asked the producers of America's Most Wanted to look at the case. They introduced them to Frank Bender. So Frank Bender is a forensic sculptor, and he created a physical bust of John List as Bender imagined he might have aged. Um, he gave him a hawk nose, grizzled eyebrows, and horn-rimmed glasses. And psychologists actually theorized that List would wear the same glasses he wore as a younger man because it would remind him of like his successful days. Well, and I think, too, a lot of people will pick a style and then they'll kind of stick with that because they're used to it. Used to it, yeah. But if you, from the 1989 photo of John List and then the bust, if you compare, the bust has like a few extra wrinkles, but it's spot on. Like, it's, like, almost, like, they're identical, aside from the wrinkles. Mm -hmm. So, on May 29th, 1989, his case appeared on national TV on America's Most Wanted. And this is kind of what irritates me. So, similarly with the Ted Bundy case, the press mentions the admirable nature of List's lifestyle. They made awareness to the fact that he was educated and church-going, and in all in all, seemed like a respectable man. He murdered Uh, his entire family. He murdered them. Yeah. Because he didn't want to go on welfare. He murdered them. That's a pride issue. The fact that he didn't want to go on to welfare because he'd be embarrassed. Because it would look bad to the community. 
that's that's what that is. He was not a good Christian man. He was not. No. Um, so after the show aired, uh, it actually had 22 million viewers that night, which is a lot for yeah. the uh, 90s, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But almost immediately, tips began to flood in. So um, a lady named Wanda Flannery called in and she was like sure that her neighbor was John List. She identified him as Robert P. Clark. And then she went on to explain that she was a re- regular churchgoer herself and she also worked as an accountant. And so immediately police were like, all right, we're going in the home of Clark. And then they met his oblivious and stunned second wife, Dolores Miller, who had met Robert at a church social. And I actually feel really bad for her. Yeah. Like, I feel really bad for her. Yeah, because it's not it's not her fault that this dude literally started a no, new life like, and didn't tell her anything. You're, like, in your 50s, 60s, and then, like, the police are knocking, asking for your husband. Like, hey, he actually had a second wife, or yeah. a first wife, and, like, three kids and a mom he, like, mass murdered. Yeah. Can we talk to him? Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of the uh, Ignacia Manriquez case that, w- that I did mm-hmm. for Valentine's Day. Like, he literally just started a whole new life. He felt, like, clearly he didn't feel that bad about murdering his family because he decided to go and start another one. Like... So, but they used Dolores' help to fill in, like, blanks from the past. And she told police that they previously had lived in Denver before moving to Richmond. So, they went to List's office and they arrested him on June 1st. That was fast. Because the episode aired on the 29th. (laughs) Yeah. So, they were like, fuck this guy. (laughs) He continuously denied that he was John List, but his fucking fingerprints proved it. he was. I was like, dog, you did all this and you didn't even burn your fingerprints? What the fuck? Why would you deny it though? Like you literally because you're so far into the second it's 18 years. Yeah, I probably but... believe I was Robert P Clark too. But this I I don't I don't know. I feel like like because he wrote that confession letter like he obviously yeah, but I owned up to what he point... did. So I'm No. Just... John List owned up to what he did. Robert P Clark does not know shit. Yeah, well Robert P Clark is a fictitious butthole so yeah that's true that's how i feel about that okay so this is actually kind of funny but so he's like denying he's not john list and the police were like your new life was so close to your like it's the same as your previous life it actually helped tips come in like yeah dog. like he went into being an accountant started going back to church yeah other than same changing his name like, same like same so like you know like christians have like baptist yeah. um methodist lutheran he went to be a lutheran he didn't even change his <laughs> domination yes he literally just changed his name and moved literally wow that he didn't even get a toupee or anything i would have at least got a toupee and burned my <laughs> fingerprints or dyed your hair or something yeah salt that bitch you know <laughs> i actually like that movie a lot so and then right after he was arrested, Dolores was like, I'm filing for divorce. Yes, queen. Period, queen. We yes. love to see it. Yes. During the trial, a psychiatrist described List as, quote, someone who has always looked to religious faith for answers and was so overwrought with the discovery that his wife had advanced syphilis that, quote, like a small rubber band, he snapped, end quote. Um, which I do kind of think that maybe kind of what, not pushed him over the edge but kind of like what started his spiral not that that's okay but like if you think like you're married to somebody for like 20 years and then you find out that she knew but she's been lying to doctors and you and your entire family that she has a std and then now you're like oh shit my kids might have it i might have it i can kind of see 
I would get feeling betrayed, but I guess as somebody I don't necessarily who, know if I would feel us betray. Well, I don't know. I, I would feel betrayed only because they didn't tell me. Because if, if they had just been honest with me from the jump, like that, that's that's my biggest thing. Is like if you're honest with me, I'm not going to be mad that you have this thing. We're going to work together to fix it. Exactly. But if you lie to me for however but long. But I think at the point she was so far into her lie, when it finally came out, she was already like too far gone for treatment. A. B. They've already had three kids. So your kids could possibly have it. And then C. You could possibly have it. And then I think what they're saying is he was so religious. Like the thought of her having an STD is like... Like, duh, she was married before you. It's not like she was having an affair. But, like, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, get over yourself, John. It happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't be okay with it, but... No, I agree. Like, but at the very least... I wouldn't kill somebody over it. Yeah. I wouldn't murder somebody because of it. But I would, like, I would just be like, how did this happen? You know, I'd want to understand. And Well, I think she told him how it happened. But I think the reason he was so, well probably not the reason but like one of the reasons he was so pressed was because she hid it for years and put so many people at least that's my reasoning he never came out and said it but i'm just gonna hope that was at least part of his reasoning Mm -hmm. okay so dr sheldon miller who previously had examined list described him as a man who had already been hit by the loss of his job and then learned his wife had deceived him for years about a medical condition knowing that she had a sexually transmitted disease would have a tremendous impact on some someone with his background so the only thing i don't like and i get like that's their job is um the witnesses for the defense and the defense attorneys but they're playing so hard into the wife's stds when there was clearly like he didn't even name the std in the fucking confession letter okay like they're playing so hard into her std but like dog he didn't even mention it it's very much victim blaming they're like how can we make it like how can we make this not his fault but i mean i I get it because it's his job like that's their job like i have a very like love hate with defense yeah with the with attorneys because I get it. That's their job. That's what they're paid to do. They're supposed to make you look innocent. So they have to put the blame on somebody else. But like, yeah, they're truly victim blaming it. Yeah. Quote, to find his wife having a venereal disease was morally, ethically, and religiously a very hard thing to accept. His wife's behavior, coupled with the loss of his job, threatened with the inability to support his family as he had been trained to do from the childhood, end quote. His lawyer, Elijah Miller Jr., argued that John, knowing his wife suffered from syphilis, helped drive the deeply religious man over the edge, but the jury also saw evidence that Liz had planned to kill them, um, had planned the killings out, like, yeah. to the deed, like, to the dime, um, and then his escape so carefully that he was gone a month before the crime was even discovered yeah like the fbi classifies killers as like organized and disorganized somebody who just snapped would probably fall That's more into the disorganized because it yeah. would it it would just be a mess heat like, at the moment yeah. yeah but clearly he planned it clearly he was able to get away with it for 18 years like that's a whole ass kid yeah like there's no way that you can just say he snapped. Like, yeah, maybe, no. maybe. He snapped it, to have this plan, but <laughs> this was methodically. Yeah, it was um, planned out. Planned to the, like, time. Like, I think, I don't think they ever said it, but, like, in my mind, I think he had it planned to the time. 
Probably not, but that's just what I think. So after the the jury rejected his diminished capacity defense, they convicted John List of five counts of first-degree murder in 1990, and Superior Court Judge William L.E. Wertheimer gave him life without parole. In a three-sentence statement to the court, John said that he was, quote, sorry for the tragedy that happened in 1971. He did not mention his wife, mother, or children. So that's why I, I like, go back and forth with thinking that he shows remorse. Like, so in his confessional, I feel like he did, but then in the trial, he didn't. So I go back and forth trying to determine if he was truly, like, remorseful. I don't don't know if I would say that he actually felt any remorse, though, like, in that letter. Because... The way he, well, I think just the way he explains it. Well, the the problem is is that he explained it in such like a clinical way that it seemed like he was like intellectualizing and like saying he felt something, but I don't think he actually did. Because I guess to me, if you felt any guilt, you would have turned yourself in. You wouldn't have just gone on and lived another life for eighteen years. That's true. I don't know. To me, he doesn't seem like a person who experienced any sort of guilt or shame for what he did that's true like he he might have said he did but his actions say otherwise and then him yeah. saying the tragedy that happened in 1971 not i took the lives of my family because i was a selfish I'm prick. selfish yeah um okay so in 2002, John interviewed with Connie Chung. Um, he said that he didn't kill himself after killing his own family because he felt it would prevent him from going to heaven. Um, because if he had killed himself right then, he wouldn't be able to. I'm trying to think of the word. Redeem himself. Get the forgiveness. Yeah, redeem himself. Um, so, but all he wanted was to reunite with his wife, mother, and children in the afterlife, where he believed there would be no pain and suffering. On in, on March 21st, 2008, John List died on Good Friday. Yay. And unlike Jesus, he did not rise again. <laughs> you are so proud of that joke. <laughs> I've been waiting to get to it, to the whole thing. Uh, well. Thanks for coming. Fuck, fuck that guy. He is. Yeah. He is a no. A no. I just kept going like back and forth because I was like, I can't really decide what I am feeling yeah. in this moment. I don't really go back and forth on it. I guess to me, it just seems like he's using his religion to try and justify the fact that he did all of this shit. And it's like, I just think it's so funny. He died on Good Friday. I think that's the most ironic thing. Yeah it's just i i don't understand how somebody can justify murdering their entire family because the, well, they're, my they're, whole thing is he's like he claims he's religious and all that but i'm like dog the ten commandments says thou shalt not murder yeah so. you shouldn't yeah like that's that's the biggest thing and i think also, it's number one right yeah but also it's just like you're ignoring so many things to be like, oh, I, I want them to go to heaven. You know, if they if they continue living, they might not be Christians anymore. It's like, that's not your fucking you don't get to decide what somebody believes as they grow up. You should want them to yeah. explore. And then if they come back, it's because they want to come back. It's because the faith is their own and not the one that you pushed onto them. I guess what? like the only thing that I'm like going back and forth on truly is like, did he have a religious psychotic break? Because there's been known like killers who do that. Well, who, like I know- have grown up in such a religious household. Yeah. And I know that there have been a couple like there's, 
I can't remember the names, but there have been a few mothers who have killed their children because they were worried that Satan The lady was... who drowned it yeah. in the bathroom. Yeah, I can't so think it's of like, I know that that happens, but to me, this does not sound like he had a, a, a psychotic break. Because I think he, he just wanted to be selfish. Yeah, because he sat down and wrote this five-page letter, like, right after he murdered, you know? If he had an actual break, I don't think he would have been able to use, write such an eloquent five-page... I think he would have just left. Yeah, he wouldn't have been able to write such an eloquent five-page confession letter. So to That's me, true. this doesn't seem like somebody who had a psychotic break. I can't say for sure, but personally, considering that... And then also just how he went about his day after, like, murdering his mother and his wife, just, like, made himself a fucking sandwich for lunch, you know, and just waited for his kids to come home, went to the soccer game to cheer his son on, and then, tried, and then like, immediately murdered him after they got home. Like, to me, it sounds like he's, he's probably a sociopath. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Because, like, you can fake having emotions and caring about your family and i'm sure there might be some like there might be some argument that he might have ptsd from the war like from fighting in wars and stuff but but well i don't i guess it could go that far i mean i have ptsd but mine well i don't i think so i have it i don't think i have it anymore because mine happened after i got shot but i don't really suffer from it but i also don't know how long you can struggle with ptsd yeah and and the thing is too is just like I don't know. I, I'm not a professional, obviously, but that's that's just my personal opinion of that. Of after hearing all of this, but well, I'm glad he's dead. It's very rough. <laughs> that was just like a fuck. It wasn't really. I mean, it was rough because kids died, but like it was fucking the yeah, weirdest. It really shit. was. But uh, he's another member of the Garbage Man Association, so. And unlike Jesus, he did not rise again. <laughs> You're so, I'm so proud of that. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, he died on Good Friday. <laughs> he died in prison at 82 Good. on Good Friday. Good. So, thank you for sharing that. That was quite mm-hmm. a quite a roller coaster. I have many thoughts, but I, I think it was just I, wild. It yeah, was wild from start to it finish. It really was. So. Thanks for listening, guys. You can find us on social media. We are on Instagram at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We're on Twitter at Wicked Podcast One. We are on Facebook and YouTube at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We are on TikTok at Shockingly Wicked. You can also find our website at shockinglywicked.com or shockinglywickedpodcast.com. We also have a Patreon, which is Shockingly Wicked Podcast. You can find that link on our website up in the top right hand corner. If you have not heard already, if the thing hasn't played for you we're going to be in dallas at the end of august for the true crime podcast festival we hope you might be able to come out there if you already live in the area so come out hang out with us there are early bird tickets still available to my knowledge at this point prices will go up so go check it out we are also about to release some merchandise to you guys. We're going to send out that link. Merch? Yes. We have two t-shirt designs currently, but we will probably add more as we go. So our patrons have gotten the chance to look at it first, and we're going to release that to the public here probably within the next couple of days. If you have case suggestions, you can email those to us at shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com, or you can use the contact form on our website, 
I just want to say that we really enjoy doing this for you guys. And even if you don't listen, I'm going to still do this. Yeah. I don't know if Brie will still want to do it if you don't listen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, I, I, would, I would still do it. But it at some point, I want to get somebody to edit these so I'm not having to do that. Because that, that part gets tedious because I already have to listen. It's only because she fucking waits to the last. <laughs> no, it's because I have to listen to it while we're recording it. Then I have to listen to it again while I'm editing. Then I have to listen to it again when I'm adding the music. So I'm listening to That's this fair. multiple times. It gets boring after a while. Like, at least to me. It gets repetitive. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I just don't want to hear myself talk. So. That's fair. That's me. That's why I don't listen to our podcast. <laughs> I do occasionally, but only when I'm trying. I'm forcing somebody else to listen to it. So, <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next week. 